Turn in your Bible to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, Old Testament book, Psalm 118. And I've got to bring this stuff a little closer because of the other room. They, Oh, no, I guess I got this on, right? I can move around, can't I? Okay. All right, very good. Psalm 118. I will not ask you what your Thanksgiving is going to be like this year, but you and I all know that Thanksgiving is more than a turkey dinner, right? You can have a turkey dinner any day of the year. Thanksgiving is more than just having relatives, family, friends into your home for a Thanksgiving meal, right? Or for a meal. You can do that any time of the year. It's not just retiring to the living room for a little bit of football, because you can do that during this time of the year as well. Thanksgiving is a lot more than that. And the reason why I want to look at Psalm 118 this morning is because I'd like us to imagine or recreate what Thanksgiving was like at the very beginning of our history. As unique as Thanksgiving is for us here in the United States of America, still it's important for us to remember that there are elements that we probably have allowed to go by the wayside and uh, hopefully we can kind of recuperate some of those um, some of those things. I can imagine, and you can imagine as well, that Psalm 118, as well as dozens of other psalms and other passages of Scripture, have been preached thousands and thousands and thousands of times as Thanksgiving messages. I like this one because there are so many characteristics of this psalm that we find in our Thanksgiving celebration here in the United States of America. All right? Here's how it begins in chapter 118, Psalm 118. We have an application right off the bat. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, don't look at the reason at the moment. I just want to follow the application through the rest of the psalm. Okay? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You may be reading another version. The reason why I mention that to you is because we have a directive from God to give thanks to the Lord, and it's repeated to us several times. It's repeated to us in verse 19, where he says, I will praise the Lord. Some versions will say, I will thank the Lord. The reason why that's the case is because the, the words in the Old Testament Hebrew really refer to both thanksgiving and praise. And you can't really separate those two words. One goes along with the other. In verse 21, we have it repeated again. I will praise you. I will give thanks to you. Verse 28 says, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, verse 29. So there it is. God wants us to give thanks to Him. That's how He describes it for us in a very general way. And so I think the context is that you and I ought to put those words, thanksgiving and praise, together. We have lots of hymns in our hymn books, one that we don't sing very often, but we know the to tune very, very well, because it's to another famous Thanksgiving tune. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. 
Uh, you're familiar with that. You're familiar with another hymn. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. In grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. We lay it before you. We kneel and adore you. We bless your holy name. Glad praises we sing. With voices united, our praises we offer. Our songs of thanksgiving to you we now raise. Are you familiar with the other song? Yes, now it's coming to mind. But it's because we link those two words of thanksgiving and praise together, as we should. And so thanksgiving should include a lot of praise. Specifically described, we have all kinds of reasons that are given to us in this passage of Scripture. For instance, in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, four times God gives us the reason to be thankful, for He is good. God is good, and what does it say? His mercy endures forever. He says, let Israel give praise to the Lord. Let Israel give thanks. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. And then he says, all of those who fear the Lord are to give thanks to God. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. Now, I would like to start relating some of the verses in Psalm 118 to our American traditional thanksgiving. And in order to do that, the best thing I can do is go back to our founding fathers and to look at some of the statements that our founding fathers gave to us in relationship to Thanksgiving Day and what the expectations were for the American people. Now, you know that Thanksgiving Day began in the 1600s. You know that when the pilgrims came here and they're standing on the shores of New England at Plymouth, you know that behind them is the cruel ocean and in front of them is the wilderness. And you know that it was a hardship for them. But in the midst of their hardship and in the midst of their distress, in the midst of their problems, in the midst of their difficulties, they were able to establish a holiday or holy day that we have celebrated since that time throughout the history of the United States of America. But I think it begins, they were well aware of Psalm 118, but it begins with our understanding that God is merciful. Now, I've said many, many times when David in Psalm 23 says, Surely the goodness and mercy of the Lord shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When he talks about the goodness of the Lord, he talks about God giving us something that we don't deserve, right? And when he talks about mercy, he talks about God not giving us something we do deserve. And so what I did is I went through some of the wall builders' um, examples of proclamations for Thanksgiving Day all the way back to colonial times and during the, the time of the American Revolution. And I chose one particular person and I chose his proclamations for today. And they are John Hancock. Now, John Hancock was never the president of the United States of America. 
but he was the first president of the Continental Congress that met constantly during the time of the Revolutionary War to figure out how we were going to handle things. He was the president of the Continental Congress, the longest of any president, and he was the president when we had to move from Philadelphia to Baltimore, from Philadelphia to York, Pennsylvania, because of the British and the maneuvering that they were guilty of, taking over the city of Philadelphia. And, um, and so John Hancock became the governor, first governor of Massachusetts when we became the United States of America, a position that he held for many, many years, and, um, and he was well-liked. He was just loved by the people of Massachusetts. But he is best known for, during the Continental Convention, he is best known for the first signature on the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1776. And so, and so uh, he, he just drew that. You all know, you can all probably picture his name right there at the top, John Hancock at the very, very top in big, bold uh, letters as he signed the Declaration of Independence. He is best known for that. He is best known for that. But I want to mention this to you, that 22 times in his state as governor, he called the people of the state of Massachusetts to prayer, days of prayer, and days of thanksgiving. 22 times. We're familiar with Abraham Lincoln's proclamation of thanksgiving. We're familiar with George Washington's proclamation of thanksgiving. And these men, of course, acknowledged something that we had been doing for years and years and years and wanted to make it a national day that we celebrated every single year. But most of us are not familiar with the governors of the states and their proclamations. And John Hancock did it 22 times. John Ken Hancock is an American who often we don't hear much about. And I just want to say this to you because we live in a day and age when every single one of the founding fathers is being vilified by people across this nation and around the world. Oh, George Washington, he was not the man we thought he was. Oh, Ben Franklin, he was not the man we thought he was. Oh, John Hancock, he was not the man we thought he was. If I were to listen to the critics of John Hancock, I would think that he was nothing more than a wealthy snob who had shady business dealings, who was selfish, but I would be listening to his opponents. And I only say that to you because I don't know that if you're going to go out there and you're going to Google John Hancock, I don't know if you're going to get the, the information from his opponents or the information from those who admired him. But the best way to understand John Hancock is to understand that he what understand his own personal feelings about everything. He was probably the wealthiest man in uh, the United States in Boston during that period of time. But he was not selfish. He was very generous and gave to this nation a lot of his wealth. Not only was he not selfish, but he was not as shady as people think he was in his dealings. He was accused of 
smuggling goods to get away from the taxes that were imposed by the British. And so he had a ship, he had several, but this one time he he had a sloop uh, called the Liberty, and it was filled with goods from Britain, and, um, and he was accused of smuggling those goods. 75% of it was taken from his ship before the taxes were paid. And it went into the court system for five months. And you'll have people, if you Google this kind of stuff, and in this day and age when people are Googling everything under the sun, and you and I know you can't believe everything you hear, a five-month uh, uh, trial led to his acquittal because there was no evidence that he did any wrongdoing. And so it's important for us to understand that uh, George Washington, he was a perfect, here is a perfect example. Um, it's been said that John Hancock and George Washington didn't get along. They didn't like each other, or John Hancock didn't like George Washington. Well, guess who John Hancock named his son after? George Washington Hancock. So, I mean, you and I have to understand, it was said that John Hancock, he was a wealthy, selfish snob, and he didn't love the Lord. He was not a Christian. His grandfather was a pastor. His father was a pastor. He faithfully served his church where his father served, and he gave generously to that church over the years. And only because John Hancock is not much of a writer and didn't leave us tons and tons and tons of literary information, do we question probably some of these things. We have the advantage to do that because he hasn't left us with a lot of information. But he has left us with 22 proclamations of Thanksgiving Day and and some other information. And I just want to give to you in our final minutes here a couple of statements out of Psalm 118 and relate them to his proclamations of thanksgiving. When he says, let his mercy, when we read, let his mercy endure forever, you and I need to understand that our founding fathers understood that we were not, we were not a country of people who didn't sin. We are not perfect people. We made mistakes. We disobeyed the Lord. And so <clears throat> the Bible tells us that we are sinful and need God's mercy. And when John Hancock would give to us a proclamation for, uh, for a day of thanksgiving, he would ex- acknowledge that we were undeserving. He begins in his proclamation on Thanksgiving Day for 1791, in consideration of the many undeserving blessings conferred upon us by God, the Father of all mercies. And that's repeated throughout his proclamations. Not only that, but there's another similarity, and that is in verse 5. The Bible says that the psalmist says, I will call on the Lord. I called on him in my distress. Thanksgiving was not born out of an abundance. Thanksgiving was born out of distress. Thanksgiving was born out of trying times. Thanksgiving was born out of difficult situations. 
And so the psalmist says, it's in my distress. I, I have enemies. Those enemies hate me, verses 6 and 7. Verses 10, 11, and 12, and 13, all nations surround me. Verse 11, they surround me. Yes, they surround me. Verse 12, they surround me like bees. And in verse 13, you pushed me violently that I might fall, in reference to the psalmist enemies. And so John Hancock, when he declared a Thanksgiving days, he would declare those Thanksgiving days and acknowledge the distress that we are under. He begins his proclamation of 1784, or 1780 rather, he begins this proclamation with these words, Whereas it hath pleased Almighty God, the Father of all mercies, and I'm just paraphrasing because his words are, they were a little bit more intelligent, I think, than we are today. Whereas it pleased Almighty God, the Father of all mercies, amid or in the middle of the calamities of war, to bestow blessings on the people of these states. It calls for us to be thankful for that. And that's repeated in the other proclamations of thanksgiving that John Hancock gave to us. The Bible says in verse 7 that the psalmist is extremely confident in the Lord. It's a good reason to be thankful when you can be confident in the Lord, when you know that the Lord is for you, when you know that the Lord is on your side, when you know that you're honoring the Lord, when you know that you're obeying the Lord. And so in verse 6, the psalmist says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. Verse 7, the Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. And so he says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And so he describes that to us. And uh, it's important for us to understand that, and I'll just say this to you because I can't pull up all of his quotes. There are many other quotes. Let me just say this to you. If you want to examine, if you want to examine one of his quotes, the Boston Massacre led to the revolution in one way. Um, there were many other things that led to the revolution, but the Boston Massacre, right in the city of Boston, a child was killed, a British shot a child, and, and there were others who were killed as well during the Boston Massacre, a few others. And so every year in the state of Massachusetts, they had a service once a year to commemorate the Boston Massacre. And John Hancock, in I think it was 1784, was the one who was to deliver the address. And he says in that address, and, and I have it in here, I could read it from here, but let me just paraphrase it for you. He says in that address, he says, I know that the Revolutionary War, I know that this war is going to work out. And I know God's going to be very, very good to us, and He's going to bless us. He is the one responsible for raising nations. He's the one responsible for pulling nations down. He is the one that we are to ultimately, ultimately be uh, trusting. John Hancock says that. In fact, he ended his, he ended his, uh, his uh, message on that, uh, on that day, he ended it with a quote from Habakkuk, chapter 3, where Habakkuk says that even though I lose my, uh, even though there's no grain for the animals, and even though there's no 
no, there's, a, there's no fruits growing out in the fields. Even all this stuff fails. He says, I will trust the Lord. I will trust the Lord. And that was good for, for John, John Hancock to say, of course, because he was wealthy, but he was saying it doesn't matter. Even if I lose my, all of my wealth during this uh, uh, war for independence, and the Boston Tea Party had just happened before he delivered this message. So they knew they were going into war. They knew it was going to happen. John Hancock says, we must trust in God. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put our confidence in man. Well, let me, let me continue a couple of other things. In verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, we have another reason why we need to be thankful. Because in the name of the Lord, he will destroy wickedness. That's the implication of the passage of Scripture. He will destroy those who are out to destroy the righteous. And he says it four times. He says it in verse 10, 11, 12, and he says it also implying it in verse 13 and following. My strength, he says, and my song is in the Lord. He has become my salvation. Verse 15, he starts giving to us specific ways to give the Lord thanks. Thanksgiving is equivalent to praise. We already looked at that in a general way. But thanksgiving in verse 15 is the voice of rejoicing in salvation. It is verse 17, declaring the works of the Lord. It is all of those things. It is not just saying, Lord, I thank you. But Lord, I thank you because you need to be praised and you need to be exalted and you need to be, we need to celebrate and rejoice. And so it's, it's very, very important for us to understand that. If I were to give you a statement of the rejoicing and the, and the declaration of the works of the Lord that, that match the Thanksgiving Day proclamations, I would refer to, as an example, I would refer to the proclamation of 1780 by John Hancock, where he says this to us. He says, the Thanksgiving day is a day of public thanksgiving and prayer for the purpose that all the people may assemble on that day to celebrate the praises of our divine benefactor. Exactly Psalm 18, the sentiment of Psalm 118, verses 15 and following. And of course, that shows up in the other proclamations as well. Those are the similarities that we find all the time. But I want to refer to one other one for you. I want you to look at verse 18 for a second. Would you back up just, uh, or would you go up to verse 18? And in, in this application section, I want you to notice that in 15, 16, and 17, he talks about the right hand of the Lord being valiant, the right hand of the Lord being exalted, and the right hand of the Lord doing valiant things. And then he says this, I shall not die, but live. Remember, the psalmist is writing this in a time of distress. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me. We need the mercy of the Lord, right? And he, but he has not given me over to death. Our founding fathers always in their trials and always in their difficulties, in their challenges, 
always tried to balance out the negative stuff with the positive stuff. Always. Always. And John Hancock, in his declaration of Thanksgiving Day in 17... um, Let's see. 1792. All right, I have so many here, I should have just eliminated some of these. Says these, these words to us, okay? Whereas it is the indispensable duty of all men to acknowledge Almighty God as the fountain of mercies and the giver of every good gift, and it becomes us at the close of the year to unite in rendering thanks to Him for the bounties of His providence conferred upon us as a people. This is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember the mercies and the favors of God which He has been pleased to bestow upon us particularly, and they had to do this often, particularly that He had favored us with so great a measure of health. After what I say next, you'll wonder why He even bothered to say that. He has favored us with so great a measure of health, and notwithstanding in His righteous providence, He hath permitted an infectious and malignant distemper to prevail in the capital and other towns. Yet in judgment He hath remembered mercy for us beyond what our sins have deserved. The lives of by far the greater number of those who have been visited with the distemper having been spared and their health restored. They had to do that constantly because epidemics were a common occurrence in colonial America and they didn't have the health system that we have. And we've talked about many times how yellow fever would just go rampant through the city of Philadelphia year after year and also in Boston and New York and other cities as well. But notice, notice the perspective You know, we have been severely tested, but listen, most of us have survived. Most of us have survived. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying here, right? The psalmist is saying, you have chastened us, Lord, severely. But personally for me, says the psalmist, he has not given me over to death. Well, I could go on and on and on. I have two summaries that I was going to share with you, summaries of the goodness of God and how thanksgiving included the prosperity of the people. Lord, help us to be prosperous. And that goes along with Psalm 118, where he talks about being rejoicing and being glad and praying that the Lord would send prosperity. And of course, our founding fathers always talked about the prosperity that God gave. But let me simply say this to you in closing, since we don't, can't really unpack this for you this morning. This Psalm 118 is quoted many, many times in the New Testament. Many times in the New Testament. It is quoted first by Jesus Christ, who gives us a parable of the vineyard and how those who were sent to the vineyard were dis, uh, were, 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 uh, uh, were treated cruelly. And finally, the son was sent by the vine, the husbandman, and he was killed. And Jesus then quotes this passage of Scripture because when he talks about this, there's a beautiful section that comes in here. 
And uh, I don't know if the Lord really prods me. We might come back to it next week. But the point is, I want you to be aware that it's here. This is, the, this is one of the passages of Scripture for reading this week. And he says in verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And you and I know that Jesus refers that to himself. And our founding fathers understanding how important it was for God to transition us from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the gospel of Christ so that it could be shared with the rest of the world. When the apostles get this psalm in, in Acts chapter 4 and then also later on in the epistles, they're talking about Jesus being the cornerstone and Jesus being the life of the world and the importance of the gospel. He was despised, he was rejected, but he is the chief cornerstone. And God is building his eternal kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that to you because if I were to refer to the end of all of these proclamations of thanksgiving, you're going to read words like this, that we are praying that God would pardon our sins God would comfort and relieve us in our affliction and distress, and always at the end of these, and God would cause the knowledge of Christianity to spread over all the earth. Yes, I read it. John Hancock, Proclamation of Thanksgiving, 1780. 1781, the words sometimes are different, but the prayer there is that God would cause His knowledge to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yes, and I could go through all of these others, and I could also quote what they say. I think this one here is really good. In 1791, or in 1791, the Bible, the, the proclamation of John Hancock included these words that more important than anything else that we enjoy in Thanksgiving is the great and most important blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the most important blessing we, ex we, we have for thanksgiving. And finally, he says in his proclamation of 1792, finally, our concern is that God would be pleased to overrule the commotions and confusions that are in the earth to the speedy downfall of tyranny and oppression so that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may be established in peace and righteousness among all the nations of the earth. That's Thanksgiving Day, 1792. Thanksgiving Day, 1780. Thanksgiving Day, 1784. Thanksgiving Day, 162021. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for encouraging us and inspiring us to look forward to Thanksgiving Day this Thursday. And Lord, we celebrate out of the abundance that you have given to us with dinner and fellowship. And though our Thanksgiving will be different, perhaps, for many, we pray, Lord, that we will not lose sight of what Thanksgiving Day is all about, and that we are to celebrate the praises of your goodness and your mercy to us. Lord, help us to do that. 
this week, and especially on Thursday. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.